Okay, our campaign is called A la carte Christianity. Uh, we've been talking about how we like to approach the Christian faith like an a la carte menu, how we, we tend to take the things that we like from Scripture, the things that we like from the faith, and then leave the things that we don't like. We take the things that are easy, the things that are simple, and leave the things that are challenging or difficult or hard. So we've been going through a lot of different topics over the last few weeks, but today we're going to talk about how we like to order up a la carte I could run wild. You guys are so, you're welcome. You have no idea. If I wanted to go like crazy preacher man, you have no idea how crazy I could get with this and silly and ridiculous. But I won't, okay? I'm not doing it. We tend to order up the physical, the natural elements of the Christian faith, but we leave the supernatural and the spiritual elements of the Christian faith, right? We tend to pick up things like morality, like truth, like community from the faith, because those are tangible. But then we leave the things that are more spiritual in nature, like the Holy Spirit, angels, demons. We leave those on the menu because they seem strange. They're odd to us. So what we're going to talk about today is primarily spiritual beings. Okay, We're going to talk about evil spiritual beings, mainly in that context. Okay. Um, and for some of you guys, when you hear me say this, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> right? You get a little, you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable talking about angels and demons in the spiritual world, okay? I, to be clear, I heard this all the time growing up. So when I, <laughs> when I say this and talk about this, it doesn't seem off. It doesn't seem kind of strange to me, but I kind of take it for granted that that wasn't everybody's experience, okay? So if you haven't heard this before, if you're not familiar with this, like, Remember, we're just, our goal is to uncover what the Bible has to say about it, okay? So we want to find the truth of Scripture and hear what it has to say. Some in our Western scientific culture, we deny that the spiritual world even exists altogether. Some in the Christian faith believe that spiritual beings are alive and real, but we live as if they're not. So if you think about your week and how you choose to spend your time, you may believe that they exist, but functionally you do nothing different because you believe that they exist. Does that make sense? Okay. And some Christians have an unhealthy obsession with angels and demons. And so what we need to do is toe the line here and just find out what Scripture actually has to say about it. Because that's what we're after. We hold ourselves under the truth of Scripture, and we believe what Scripture tells us. And so if you're in here today and you're like, I don't know if I believe this stuff, or I know that I don't believe this stuff even... <laughs> yep. uh, the, but the point is, um, again, to just get after what Scripture has to say, okay? What? And to believe what the Bible tells us about this. <laughs> Michael, Michael, would you go and pray with him? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so again, if you, if you don't believe in the spiritual world, if you don't believe in angels and demons, my goal is not to shame you. My goal today is not to make you feel guilty about not believing in this. Again, my goal is to just open Scripture and find out what Scripture has to say. Okay, so that's our goal. 
Let's just say a prayer for Ken. Would you guys join me? Lord, God, would you just be with Ken? Guide Michael in this process. Holy Spirit, would you just illumine his life? Bring here the light of Christ into him, Lord, we pray. Jesus, would you deliver him and set him free from whatever it is that's afflicting him? It's in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, as I said, we can err on both sides. Here's what C.S. Lewis has to say about it in his beautiful screw tape letters. If you've never read that book, I strongly recommend it. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which humans can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The devils themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So, even if you don't believe in this, if you do, (laughs) occasionally we're awakened to the reality of the evil spiritual world in our lives. And it's rather unsettling. In his book, The Good, the Beautiful, and Kind, Rich Velotas, he documents the story of, he says, quote, a dutiful, church-going, apple-pie-making mother from Texas who participated in the lynching of a young black man named Jesse Washington. When you reflect, when you think about the horrors, the evils of racism and lynching in the Bible Belt in the South where people would go to church and then this would be a community event where they would go and witness the murder of a black man or woman. When you think of those stories, there is no conclusion that you can come to other than that there is something more nefarious at work in our world. That somebody can go and worship Jesus, sing to him, read their Bible, and then go and murder somebody and celebrate it. I just opened my phone this morning and saw another mass shooting. We encounter stories of things like rape, murder, school shootings, human trafficking, genocide, war. We can only come to the conclusion that there is something evil animating what is going on in our world around us. There's no other explanation for it. And this coupled with the sinful nature of our humanness, which we talked about last week, produces great evil in our world. And the Bible confirms that this is true. And if we in the church are not living like this is true, we're missing a major aspect of what God is doing in the world. We're not fighting with all the tools that God has given us. The biblical framework for evil spiritual beings is more broad than we tend to think of it. We tend to think of it only on the individual level, which is true, and Scripture reveals that to be true as well. But evil spiritual beings, they're at work in systems and institutions like governments, ideas, rulers, authorities, and even within the church sometimes. So again, what we're after is what the Bible has to say about it. We're going to start with a story from the life of Jesus. I'm just going to read the story. I'm not going to make many comments on it. And then we're going to go to the book of Ephesians and read what Paul says about it and how we can live in this world, this spiritual world. So first, let's read this story from the book of Luke about Jesus. It says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, that's Gentile territory, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. 
When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So notice, this demon just comes to him. This guy who's possessed, he comes to Jesus. He falls, goes to his knees and says, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Son of the most high God is the term of the exalted, glorified power of God. I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times that seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chain and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Stories like this occur frequently in the Gospels. And so we can't ignore them. We can't just write them off. There's something to this. There's something real about this, where Jesus encountered demons. But no, what we're going to see... What we see in every instance is it's not a fight. (laughs) It's not like the exorcist, which if those visions come to mind, Jesus isn't like, oh no, I don't have my holy water, right? What am I going to do? He doesn't like burn incense or like come in with crosses. Like that, that stuff is nonsense, right? It's the power is in Jesus and in Jesus' name. And in every instance, when Jesus encounters a demonic power, it's not a fight. By the power of his word, he sends them away and they're gone. They have no power over Jesus. So, let's read in Ephesians chapter 6. This is Paul's teaching on how we are to live in this spiritual world as Christians. How do we fight against the attacks of the enemy? Verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and in his mighty power. Okay, so, This, right off the bat, you in your physical nature have no power over evil spiritual beings. Let's just start there, okay? So again, as as I said, if we really lived as if we lived in a spiritual world, we would pray more. If we lived with that reality, we would pray more. We would seek the Spirit of God because we would recognize that in myself, I have nothing. I can't do anything. We would love Jesus more. We would surrender to him and to his power more. Be strong in the Lord, Paul says, and in his mighty power, because he knows that in this spiritual battle that he's talking to the Ephesians about, which the spiritual battle that he's mostly talking to them about is the divisions among them of Jews and Gentiles. This is a deeply spiritual fight that Satan wants to divide the early church. He says, put on the full armor of God. Put on the armor that comes from God. So again, Your power is in Jesus, and the armor that we fight with, which is defensive, right, comes from God. It is not sourced in you. 
It is sourced in God and in God alone. We just put it on. So that you can take your stand. Take your stand. He's going to say this a number of different times. This is a defensive posture. So the image that Paul is kind of painting here is that Jesus has already won the hill. (laughs) He's already taken the castle, whatever vision you want to go with. Our goal is to just defend it. (laughs) So we just put on the armor of God and the victory that Jesus has won in saving us and redeeming us, and so we can stand. We stand our ground against the schemes of the enemy and the lies of the devil by putting on the armor of God. That's the image. Take your stand. To stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle... The word struggle there, it's a, it's a wrestling, like wrestling was the original meaning of the term, which if you've ever wrestled before, it's challenging, right? Like if they didn't put a time limit on wrestling, like nobody would play the sport because it's completely exhausting. I've never played the sport. I've just wrestled with my buddies and my brother. Actually, at my birthday party, like every year when I was growing up, we would play football because my birthday is in September. So we'd play football and then we'd go into the house and wrestle, you're looking at me and my body frame, and you're like, John, that was a bad idea. Why did you do that? I don't know. I got whooped every time by my brother and my buddies, but I thought it was fun. And if you know Luke Cornamone, he was my buddy too. He's a strong, he's a strong fella. <laughs> For our struggle, so the picture that Paul's painting is this wrestling, this wrestling. It's it's exhausting physically when you wrestle. It's this spiritual wrestling that we're called to, that we're engaged in, whether we know it or not. The struggle is not against flesh and blood. So it's not against the physical world that we wrestle, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Here's these terms that Paul uses and the scripture uses time and time again to refer to evil spiritual beings. These are just all comprehensive terms to refer to evil spiritual beings. Rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In the devotional, I linked you to a Bible Project video that explains this more thoroughly with pictures and a fun video, so I encourage you to watch it. Therefore, how do we fight, Paul says? Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So he may be talking there about the day of evil, just this general time that we're in right now. Maybe talking about a specific day of evil that comes in your life. We're not really sure. But whatever he means, put on the full armor of God so that when that time comes, you can stand. You may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, he says. Notice how many times he says stand. You think he's trying to get something across to you? Stand firm. Stay strong. Not in your own strength, but in the power of the Lord and in the armor that God has given you. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now he goes through, he's describing like a Roman soldier in their typical armor. Satan's primary work is through deception and lies. So know that the truth is incredibly important. We have to defeat the lies with truth. We live in an age and a world where Satan has run wild with deception. Nobody knows what to believe anymore. Information is readily available for everybody, and so we have deep fakes. We have, we have some of the most ridiculous lies coming out at us all the time, and people are believing. People believe in, like, lizard people, right? Like, we've come a long way, right? Satan's pretty effective with his lies and his deceptions. 
So we need truth to combat the lies. And how do we know truth? God's word. We're going to find this time and time again. God's word is so important. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. This righteousness, remember, is a gift from God. We've talked about this, how your righteousness is in Christ. That when we come to believe in Christ, we have this great exchange. Christ takes his sin upon us and he gives us his righteousness. And so when Satan tries to tempt us and lie to us and deceive us that, no, you are, you've sinned. You're not good enough for God. You can't be called a child of God. We can say, nope, my righteousness is in Christ. Christ's righteousness has been applied to me. We need to believe that and hold true to that. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So remember, the main issue that Paul is addressing in the book of Ephesians is this Jew-Gentile division. Divisions in the church are antithetical to the gospel of peace. Because in the gospel, God has reunited us. He's reconciled us to himself, and he's reconciled us one to another. And yet, throughout the history of the church, we see Satan at work dividing Christians, dividing the church. He goes on, in addition to all of this, so here he's emphasizing the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. Faith is vitally important in the book of Ephesians. Faith is also a gift from God in the book of Ephesians. Again, this is God's armor that he has given us. So faith is a gift from God that he has given you to trust in him, to believe in him for salvation and for all of the days of evil that come your way, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, just a few chapters prior, Paul says that this is a part of God's saving work and it is a gift from God. He says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. So faith and the rest of the armor is vitally important as a gift from God. Take up the helmet of salvation. Take is kind of an unfortunate translation here. What it means is receive. Receive salvation. It's, it's passive. The verb, it means to receive what's been given to you. So receive the salvation that Jesus has given you. He has already taken the hill. Remember, he has already won the victory. We just receive it through faith. That Jesus has taken our sin upon himself and restored our union to God. We need to receive that. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Okay, so he's gone through the armor. Now, this is to filter through all of the Christian life and all of the armor. This is your primary weapon in the spiritual world. Wait, did I skip a verse? I did. Where's the sword of the Spirit? What on earth? All right, anyways. So he says, <laughs> also take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, so again, emphasizing how important God's word is. God created the universe at the sound of his word. Uh, in the Gospels, it says that Jesus cast out demons with a word. Okay, so Jesus is so powerful. Remember in Revelation 19, the, the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth with which he vanquishes his enemies is his words. The word of God is so, so important. When Jesus is in the desert being tempted by Satan, what does he do? He speaks the word of God. He quotes scripture. Whereas Jesus, God in flesh, has all power and authority in heaven and on earth, he could tell Satan to scram. But he's setting an example for us that there is power in the word of God. And so when we face lies and deception and attacks of the enemy and evil spiritual beings, we fight it with God's word. We have to know the truth of God's word and declare it. 
Okay, then he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. It's comprehensive, right? Pray all the time. <laughs> if you don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for you. Pray, let the Spirit of God fill you and empower you and tell you what to pray for. This is what I'm saying. Like, if we believed that we lived in the spiritual world and that it's active around us, we would pray a lot more. We would really be people of prayer because this is how we fight. This is our power, is in God and in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Band, you guys can come and get set up. Pray also for me that whatever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Okay, so our big idea is that we are in a spiritual battle. And we can only fight this battle in the power of Christ with the armor that God gives us by praying in the Spirit. Notice the Trinity is at work in this battle. We need all three persons of the Trinity in this fight against evil and evil spiritual beings. So now we're going to sing praises to our Savior. We're going to worship Jesus, who has won the victory, who has taken the hill, and who has equipped us and given us the armor to stand against the attacks of the enemy and evil spiritual beings. And as we're singing, and as we're praising God, if Jesus is calling you, if Jesus is calling you into the light, if Jesus wants you to come and pray, come and pray with me and Michael in the back in the prayer area right there. Please, if you sense Jesus calling you, come to the light of Christ. There's freedom in him. Lord, Jesus, we just declare your power over evil, over evil spiritual beings. And Lord, would you move in our hearts. Draw us, Lord, to the light of Christ. Bring us to the truth of Scripture. Spirit, reveal Scripture to us, what is true. In the hour of need, in the time when we're under attack, would your word just be a light? Jesus, you are the light of the world. We thank you for your power, for your redemption. We thank you that you have already won the victory of saving us. fully dependent on you. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship our Savior together. Big idea is that we're in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Whether we recognize it or not, you're in this fight. And we can only fight this battle in the power of Christ, with the armor that God gives us, and by prayer in the Spirit, as Paul says, in Ephesians 6, this is all in Christ's power. It's all in the victory, standing in the victory that Christ has won for us over evil, over the evil one, over our sin. And so Paul has given us, in Ephesians 6, the equipment that we fight with, and it's all from God. I'm going to run through these all pretty quick and apply them. I started getting on a roll when I was just supposed to be going through the text a little bit ago, but sometimes I can't help myself. The old preacher man comes out. So, um, all right. So, the armor of God that Paul gives us. Number one is the belt of truth. 
Again, we know the truth by God's word. Satan lies. Jesus tells us that he was a liar. (laughs) And that when he lies, he's speaking his native tongue. That this is the language that he speaks. And so to combat the lies of the enemy, we need the truth of God. And we know the truth of God by the words of God. That what God has spoken is true. This is why I am so adamant time and time again. I keep saying you have to hold yourself under the authority of God's word. Instead of making yourself the authority as you approach God's word. Because God's word is powerful. In the scripture, in the story of scripture, it is God's word that creates. He speaks and things come into existence in Genesis 1. When Jesus speaks, the demons flee. Jesus, again, when he's tempted in the wilderness, he defeats the enemy with the power of God's word. Scripture is the word of God revealed to us. We have to know it. We have to know it so well that when we feel tempted, we are encountering the lies of the enemy, whether it's online, whether it's in your own thoughts, whether it's in a conversation, When we're encountering lies, we have to counter them with the truth of God. We have to know God's word. Like an agent who works to detect fraudulent bills in currency, they do so by studying the real thing. So it's fruitless to start studying just all of the errors because there will be a new one that pops up that you haven't heard of yet. And so you just study the authentic thing. You study the words of God and know it so well that you can counter the lies of the enemy with the truth. The breastplate of righteousness, obviously important because it protects your vital organs. Jesus has died in our place and given us his righteousness. He's taken our sin upon himself in the cross for those who believe in him. Again, Satan will try to convince us that this sin that continues to plague you, that The fact that you haven't kicked it yet means you are not in Christ. Your righteousness is not in him. Guys, I talk to people that when they hear the grace of God and their righteousness is in Christ and not in anything that they've done and they've been steeped in a world, whether it's a religious world or a non-religious world, that tells them that you have to be good enough to get with God. I've seen grown men cry when they hear this message, because it is such a weight and a burden off of your shoulders that you cannot be good enough to be right with God. But God has given you his righteousness in Jesus as a free gift of salvation, this armor that we just put on. And so when we're tempted with the lies of the enemy that say, you're not good enough, you can say, my righteousness is in Christ. So scram. (laughs) I am in Christ. Amen. Thanks, Dan. Because demons will torment you with your past sins. They'll bring up memories of your past life. They'll bring up the present sins that you're struggling with. And they'll torment you. Guys, it is so freeing to know that your righteousness is in Christ. And it's not in your ability to be good enough. You can say, nope, Jesus has taken it all on the cross. So those sins from 10, 20, 30 years ago, they've been nailed to the cross. And I've left them there. And I have the righteousness of Christ. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Remember, 
The main theme of the book of Ephesians is the unity of the Jews and the Gentiles. Two groups of people who were at divisions and odds and couldn't eat together before Jesus, right? (laughs) But in Christ, we are one. We are united together in Christ. Demons seek to sow division in the church. They will try to divide you and your brothers and sisters. We just came through a season of deep division in the church where a lot of disagreements were revealed and a lot of divisions broke out in the church. He's really good at it. This has been the history of the church from the beginning. Is Satan sowing division. But we have the gospel of peace. That in the gospel, Christ has taken the two and made them one. In his blood shed on the cross, he has united us together as one. We tend to think that, we tend to only think in the physical realm and think if I'll just argue better, if I have a more compelling case, if I present the truth of Scripture so well, so com- in such a compelling fashion, then I will convince the other person and they will believe in me. I, I already mentioned it, right? We have people believing in lizard people. Like, no amount of logic and reason. <laughs> that's, that's not the answer. It's part of it. Speak the truth, right? <laughs> Speak the truth. But there's something deeper going on here in the divisions of the church that we're experiencing. There's a spiritual battle at play. And Satan is seeking to divide the church, whether it be along racial grounds, around health, around opinions, around politics. Our culture is incredibly polarized, and the church is as well. And so we need to put the shoes of the gospel of peace on. Remember that Christ has united us to God, and he has united us one to another. And recognize that these divisions are a spiritual battle, and so we pray more. And on this note, when divisions, when disagreements come up, we need forgiveness. You guys, bitterness, bitterness is something that the devil will take hold of you on. He will control you. Whether it was some sin and evil that has been done to you in the past, some evil that you have committed or done yourself. Forgiveness is the way we are free from that. We need to forgive. That doesn't mean that we deny. Forgiveness doesn't mean you deny that what was done was evil. It's acknowledging that that was evil and that was wrong. And it's saying, I'm choosing not to hold the consequences against you. Just as God has forgiven us in Christ. Just as he has forgiven us, we must forgive. If we don't, we are leaving room for Satan to take hold of us. Because that's where those lies take root, and they become deeply ingrained within us. We snowball assumptions, bitterness, anger, hatred, and Satan is very good at exploiting those. So we need to forgive. So if there's anybody that you need to forgive, You need to forgive yourself, find forgiveness in Christ of how he has forgiven you, to view yourself as he has. You need to do that today before you leave. 
Next is the shield of faith. This faith that God has given us in the gospel and saved us and redeemed us with. We need to trust that you are saved by Jesus, first and foremost. Again, that your righteousness is not in yourself, but it is in the work of Jesus on the cross. That he has given you his righteousness. We need to remember your first love, as John writes to the church in Revelation. He writes that to the same church, Ephesus, interestingly. Tells them to remember their first love. So those of you who have been Christians for a while, remember the fire. Remember the passion. Remember how you loved Jesus when you first came to faith in him. Jesus is the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come back to that first love. That same faith that Jesus tells us can move mountains. We need to grasp, hold, take hold of that and trust that Jesus is powerful and he is trustworthy and he is faithful. When I think of faith and the shield of faith, I always think of our, our beloved sister, Mary Stroik, who passed away recently. <laughs> I said at her celebration of life, faith was her spiritual gift because this woman went through brain cancer. Her husband died. All in a short time, she had experienced one tragedy after another. And every time I would talk to her, she'd say, God's got this, John. She's like pastoring me. She's like, <laughs> I come to pray with her, and she's like, John, God's got this. And I'm like, inside, I struggle with anxiety and stuff, so I'm like, Mary, I don't know if God does. Like, <laughs> she always told me that. We need that shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. Constantly go back to this. Salvation is a gift from God that he's given us that we can't earn, and so you can't lose it. If you've experienced the Holy Spirit of God as that deposit, that down payment, if you've experienced salvation, if he's saved you and redeemed you, you are his. As Paul says in Romans, nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And he mentions demons in there as well and powers. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Jesus is more powerful. He will sustain you. He will withhold you to the end. Your salvation is not in yourself, so it's in him, and he is faithful and he is trustworthy. You have to believe that and you have to cling to that, even when you're finding yourself weak and struggling in this wrestling match with evil and the evil spiritual world. When you come to the end of yourself is when you have to remember that your salvation is in God and that he has accomplished this for you. And you are being made new by his spirit. If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, if that power is dwelling within you, you'll make it. You'll be okay. And then the sword of the Spirit. We have to know the words of God when we're tempted by the enemy so that we can fight with God's word. It is so powerful. Fear is something that I struggle with. So when I was... <laughs> how this came about... When I played basketball in my younger years is where I memorized this verse. I didn't realize the implications that it would have later on in my life. Uh, when I played, I was very timid um, and passive. I would pass the ball too much, and I wouldn't shoot it. So I memorized this verse to help me play basketball better. So stupid, right? Second uh, Timothy 1.7, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. <laughs> I memorized that so that I could say that before a game and shoot, like, let it fly like Steph Curry. But... Uh, <laughs> no shot's a bad shot, right? Um, <laughs> but now I'm realizing the implications of that. 
and how I need to say that to myself time and time again when I'm afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We have to cling to God's word. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have to memorize scripture so that when these lies and temptations come up, you can counter them. Cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. (laughs) Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Simple phrases to just remember and to repeat. The very next verse in 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we have to be alert. We have to know God's word to counter his lies. Now we're going to come to communion together. In communion, we're celebrating that Jesus has won the hill. The victory that Jesus has, that in the cross... Remember, the cross is the picture of Jesus' enthronement. (laughs) This is the picture of Jesus coming to power. Not through how so many accomplished power and gained power by doing evil. No, Jesus accomplished his reign and authority by the greatest act of love and allowing the greatest evil to be done to him. And so, Jesus has conquered sin. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has power over all evil spiritual beings because of what he has done on the cross. And it's in his blood that we have victory. So this is us remembering the salvation that God has brought us. Remembering the peace that he has brought us with himself and others. Remembering that our righteousness is in Christ. And this is true. And it is attained by faith. The elements are up here. We were going to have a baptism today. (laughs) And her story is one of deliverance from evil and the power of God and restoration. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But we have this power over evil because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus is more powerful. She got sick yesterday and had to go to the hospital. Please be in prayer for her. Be in prayer for Christiana, okay, and her family.